John chapter 7, Jesus says, whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That phrase, out of his heart, is usually translated something like out of his belly or from the womb. It usually means somebody's physical stomach. But in this case, Jesus is using it to refer to kind of this innermost place, his heart, his cavity, and out of that place, something is flowing. Something is moving, something is coursing, and we're told that what's moving from that place is living water. Interesting that Jesus seems to be quoting some Old Testament passages here, but there's not really any one passage he's quoting. He's sort of mashing them together. But there are two Old Testament passages that speak of living water, and in both cases, they say this water is flowing from the place where God resides, from the temple, from Jerusalem. And Jesus makes this comment that that living water is the Holy Spirit. A few chapters before that, Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus. And in this conversation, he says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And to explain that, Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Think about the wind. It's untamable. It's wild. You can't control it. It's in charge. In years past, they would have used a bellows like this to create wind, to create air, to stoke a fire. And you can't see wind. You see it by the impact it's having. So we don't see the Holy Spirit. We know him in his activity, not his absence. In the 1800s, there was a man named Samuel Chadwick. And he was a pastor of a small church. And he was praying, Lord, I want to see your Holy Spirit pour out on my church in a fresh way. So this group of them began to pray for an outpouring and and God began to tell them, you need to give me more control. And as they began to back away from taking the control in their services and their sermons, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the wind began to blow. And they saw incredible things. But I want to rewind quite a ways. Let's go back a bit. These are New Testament pictures of the Holy Spirit. What about the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, there's a certain Hebrew word that is often used to describe the interaction of the Holy Spirit with humans. And that word literally means to rush, to fall upon, to come powerfully upon. That word is sometimes used in the context of fire or flames, like a lantern. And usually whenever this type of experience is talked about in the Old Testament, there's four things that are happening. One, it's unplanned. People don't plan for these moments. They're not expecting for the fire to fall. Second, it often happens in a moment of crisis. These are times where Israel is in trouble, they need help, they need a leader, and in those moments, the spirit tends to fall. Radical actions always come from this. People start prophesying. They lead military victories for Israel. Crazy things happen when the fire falls. And this type of experience in the Old Testament only happened 
to consecrated people. Living water, breath of God, fire. Here's the question we're asking this morning. Have we missed the fullness of the Spirit? Okay, if these are three snapshots of who the Holy Spirit is throughout Scripture, have we missed some of them? Have we become so focused on one attribute of his personhood or who he is, we've missed the fullness? And I have kind of a guess. I have kind of a a hypothesis of what this might be. I think some of us tend to hang out here in the New Testament pictures of the Spirit and miss the truth given us in the Old Testament. What about the fire? Of God. Let's talk about it. I told you the only consecrated people experienced this. There were two paths you could take to be consecrated. The one path you didn't choose, you were chosen. Okay, you were a king, you were a priest. Somebody walked up to you, poured anointing oil on you, it was probably a prophet, and suddenly you were consecrated. You had been chosen by God and set apart for a special task. We're not talking about that path this morning because you had no control over that path. God just chose. You were a descendant of a Levite or you were chosen as king, you're consecrated. We're talking about the second way. God wrote a law into scripture that allowed people to choose to be consecrated. We call those people Nazrites. A Nazrite could take a vow, and that vow was to do three things. They had to change their diet, they had to change their appearance, and they had to behave differently. So the diet they chose was they couldn't have anything from the grapevine. No raisins, uh, no grapes, no grape juice, no wine, no vinegar made from wine, nothing. They couldn't have it. Their hair had to be grown long. And their behavior was different because, you see, all Israelites had to avoid contact with dead bodies, but that was different for the Nazarites. For a Nazarite, they couldn't even go near their father or mother if they passed away. There was a greater value to their sacredness. All three of those things, diet, hair, behavior, were outward. People could see that. So somebody could look at you and see your long hair and know there's a Nazarite. They could see you avoid drinking wine in a meal and say there's a Nazarite. So part of the cost of being a Nazarite, of being this consecrated person, was you were separate from people. There was this distance, this difference you created between yourself and others. Part of the cost of consecration was loneliness. So you and I have to ask the question, wait a minute, if Nazarites had to pay a very serious cost for that consecration, what made that worth it? What reward could be so great that that cost was manageable? The fire. That was their reward. The Nazarites were positioning themselves to experience something like this.
what makes the cost of consecration go from bearable to beautiful is the desire for the Holy Spirit. It's the longing to experience the fullness of that table. One of my favorite parables that Jesus tells is two sentences. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found that treasure, he went, sold all he had, and in his joy, bought that field. So as I look at that, I ask the question, how can you sell everything you have in joy? Well, it's because you perceive the value of what you are getting is so far beyond the value of what you paid. Can you imagine if I really grasped the fullness of what it means to be consecrated, paying that cost would be easy. Flip that on its head. If the cost of consecration is too high for you, then your value of experiencing the Holy Spirit is too small. You do not value that enough. The cost is too high. You will not make that transaction. I've struggled with a lot of things in my spiritual walk. I've struggled with legalism for a lot of years. I've wrestled with performance, spiritual performance thinking, spiritual perfectionism. I've wrestled with fear. I don't know why, something I have not wrestled with in my life, I don't know why, is hunger. I remember growing up in Colorado Springs and walking on the streets and praying there, being about 12 years old and saying, God, I just want to know you. In the midst of all the junk in my life and all the things I got wrong, I had hunger. And I would offer this to you this morning. You don't step in to the spirit through your intellect. Sometimes there's this desire to, to control the experience. Now we know we love the Lord our God with all our mind. Amen. Absolutely. So true. But sometimes there's this tendency to understand the living water before I step in. Like, is the river safe? Of course not. As if understanding the chemical properties of H2O actually enables me to come here and drink. No. There's some of us that say, man, is this fire? Like, can I understand this? Maybe not, but you don't start with intellect. You start with hunger. I don't care where we're at in the room. If we're professors and you've been following God for longer than I've been alive, or if you're here in a very new believer, the spirit starts in our lives with hunger. A hunger to experience and know him. New Testament Nazarites. That's what we need today. Our themeful chapel this semester is the will of God. It is the will of God that you would be consecrated. And there's two types of consecration. The one type is 
the type that applies to all of us. Jesus consecrates you and I at the cross. That's the difference between the Old Testament picture and now. We've all been consecrated. Peter writes that you are a kingdom of priests. You're a bunch of people that are now set apart. So in one sense, we have been consecrated, but in another sense, he's calling us deeper. There's more consecration. There's an individual consecration you can say yes to. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Concentration controls the length of your legacy. Samuel, Samson, John the Baptist, three Nazarites, three men upon whom the power of God was poured out in great ways. Maybe you could say this, today in the kingdom of God belongs to the spiritual leaders. Tomorrow belongs to the visionaries, the prophets, but history those who have the greatest impact belong to the Nazarites. Here's what I think. I think if anybody in this room takes this sermon seriously, you'll probably have the question, how could I step into that? How could my name be listed next to Samuel, next to Samson, next to John the Baptist? Yeah, right. And if that's your thought, then here's what I would say to you. You need the Holy Spirit. Because listen, church, the Holy Spirit is not just the prize of our consecration. He's not just the reason we consecrate ourselves. He is the power of our consecration. He's the one that enables us to be consecrated in the first place. It's not like God says, hey, clean yourself up and figure yourself out and then come to me. No, we need him to know him. If you say, I could never be consecrated, you don't know the Holy Spirit. You don't know him. Some of you may say, Garrett, I could never be consecrated because right now in my life, I'm way too tired, I'm way too exhausted, I don't have energy to finish the semester, let alone be consecrated. Then pray to the living water. Pray to him. It's a promise. He is satisfaction that does not run out, does not run dry, and never goes away. Pray. Let's ask him to be who he says he'll be. He is living water. Some of you say, Garrett, you don't know the spiritual deadness in my life. There's so much sin and junk. I committed so much sin over Thanksgiving break. Some of you may be saying that. Then pray to the breath of God who speaks to dry bones and calls them to life. He speaks to areas of deadness in me and in you and commands them to resurrect. You guys, the Holy Spirit is co-eternal, co-creator with the Father and the Son. That means he created you. He spoke you into existence. His wind is in your lungs, and he can speak again and recreate you. Ask. Holy Spirit, we ask. Speak life to dry bones today. For some of you, it's not the living water that you need to focus on, and it's not the breath of God. All oh, this, is, this is the same person. You need to focus on the fire. And for some of you, to be completely honest, the hunger I have described this morning for God is a hunger you don't have. You say, Garrett, if I'm honest, that's not in my life. 
Like what you're talking about is cool. I see this table, but like I don't yearn for that. Then ask. It's the gospel. The spirit meets you wherever you're at. Ask for the fire of God to fall on your life. My favorite Old Testament story of the Holy Spirit coming on someone is the first time the Holy Spirit comes on King Saul to prepare him for kingship. The Bible says the Holy Spirit falls on him and that in a moment he is changed into a different person. If you lack hunger, ask. I've prayed about what to do at this moment. Right now, we've talked about the Holy Spirit. How do we step in? How does this go from here to here? And I'm convinced that we need to ask. Right now, we need to pray right now. This doesn't need to be an an academic-only chapel. This needs to be an experience. So we're actually gonna take a moment and ask. So I wanna encourage you to put your Bible, your journal to the side, and we're gonna take a second and pray. Right now, uh, this space is open. You can kneel down, uh, you can come to the altar, whatever you want, but we're just gonna take a second and pray. Nick's gonna come up with me, and this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray to the Holy Spirit, but we're gonna focus on these three aspects of who he is. So as Nick prays to the Holy Spirit, our living water, if you're here and you say, that's what I need, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I need living water. We're just gonna ask that you just raise your hand to the Lord. Or you put out your hands and say, Lord, I need you. We're not gonna call you up, we're not gonna do anything. This is just you saying, yes, I need him. We're gonna pray to the Holy Spirit, the wind of God, and if there is sin in your life, if there's areas of deadness that need to be called forth, pray to him. Lift your hand and say, Lord, I need you. The beautiful thing is you can pray this prayer no matter how long or short you've been walking with the Lord. No matter how well you know him, you need him more. And then I'm gonna close this out by praying for fire if you need hunger to ask for that. So would you stand up with me to begin? And right now, we're just gonna take a second and pause as Aaron plays. If you need to come to the altar, if you need to kneel down, if you need to sit back down in your seat, if you need to get with a group of people and pray together, that's awesome. But before we pray for you, we're just gonna give you some space, some time, just to pray to the Lord. Let's talk to him. Father, we recognize that it is not only the sin that we commit that separates from you. It's the delight in sin that separates us from you. So Father, I ask right now that every single soul in this room, that the darkness that they delight in would be exposed right now in their hearts. That they would see the darkness that they delight in 
that separates them from you. Father, in our fallen nature, we believe a lie that the darkness that we delight in will give us more joy than your spirit. I call that out in the name of Jesus right now. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, I pray that you would give every soul in this room eyes to see yourself on the cross right now and that your eyes would lock with theirs and you say, your sin has killed me. I'm paying for your death. And that you would transform their eyes right now to you after the resurrection. And you lock eyes with theirs and you look and you point to your tomb and you say, I know what life is. My body's raised from the dead. Follow my ways and I will give you life. So wind of the Holy Spirit blow over this congregation. Yes, yes. May malice and slander be transposed to compassion and empathy and love. Yes. May sexual immorality be changed to the delight in purity. Yep, yes. And trust behind every closed door. May overindulgence be changed to self-control. Yes. That we might live in self-control by the power of your spirit. Yes. So that we might walk in every situation, in every trial, and in every mode of suffering. Yes. Let selfishness be overcome by love for one another. Yes. Let your spirit and the fruits of your spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control be sprouted in every soul in this room by their submission to you. And help every soul recognize that your ways are life. And that your ways and your spirit and the fruits of your spirit are living water. Yes. That satisfy the soul to its innermost being. And Father, as we drink from this water, let us recognize that we're going to meet you soon. And it is not by our works that we are justified before you, but it is solely by your grace. And that this revelation of you being already raised from the dead give us power as we trust in the Holy Spirit to help us through all circumstances and give us all fruits and have life and joy in every situation. Yes. Yeah. I want to take a moment and just give you a second just to pray to the Holy Spirit in your own words just between you and him, and then I'll close us in prayer. Let's take a moment and pray to him. If you're near someone and you're praying together, if you want to just lay a hand on their shoulder or grab hands with the person next to you, I'm going to close us in prayer. And let's close in prayer, united as a student body, and ask for the Holy Spirit to be our fire. Let's pray together. 
Holy Spirit, fire of God, you are alive. You are not dead. You're not something we study under a microscope. You're a person that we invite. You're a person that we know. God, our prayer is that on this campus, we would be a beacon of light to this world and to the church to say the spirit is alive and the Nazarites are not dead. May this campus be a consecrated people by choice. May the cost of that consecration not be too much for us. So Holy Spirit, fire of God, we pray over this room. Grant to this room a hunger for you that is not native to us. Something we don't know or already possess. Grant it. Give it. Give us a hunger and a thirst to know you and to walk in your ways. And Lord, may we look back on this morning and know that God, God Almighty has spoken to our hearts. And if you agree with that and want to live your life in that, say amen with me. Amen.